Good afternoon, everybody. Great to see you. I can't really see you very well because you've got these massive lights shining in my eyes, but hey, we'll overcome that. My name is John. I'm one of the leaders here at King's Church High Wycombe. It's just great to see you. Thank you so much for coming to our carol service. I don't know how you're supposed to follow what we've just had there. It was just stunning, wasn't it? It was amazing, but um, just beautiful rendition of those, of those songs. Um, I've taken a little bit of a f- bit of flack this morning for my appearance, uh, <laughs> mainly because last year I wore a tie, and um, I've decided to go a bit more casual this year, but actually, I've, to be honest, my decision of whether or not to wear a tie was mainly influenced by strange phenomenon that has happened, and that is that um, I, all the, the collars of all my shirts have shrunk. <laughs> and... I'm not sure what's happened. It's very strange. Anyway, here we are again. It's Christmas again. Christmas has come round again. We're singing carols. We all feel lovely, warm, and, and fuzzy. And I know people feel differently about when the Christmas period approaches and all that sort of thing. Personally, I really enjoy Christmas. I look forward to it. I, there's lots and lots of things I really love about Christmas and the whole, the whole period of Christmas, the whole season of Christmas. Um, although I have to say I wouldn't go quite as far as Roy Wood and Wizard in wishing that it would be Christmas every day. Um, that wouldn't be good at all. That would be awful. Because actually, as much as I love Christmas, it does hold some challenges for someone like me who is an introvert. Okay? And I'm quite far over on the, on the introvert scale. Now, what that basically means is that I just get really tired of people. Um, <laughs> really quickly. It's not I don't like people, I just don't like talking to them. So um, it, it's because I, it, it kind of means that I don't really have any small talk. I don't really know how to do that. And those who know me know that's very true. Um, it actually means that I'm, it, for me to stand up here and speak in front of 400 people is far less stressful than I thought I might actually have to mingle with you afterwards. <laughs> okay? So be gentle with me. So you can imagine that Christmas Day... When both of my wife's family and my family are both local, so we're with lots of people, family, there's noise, there's chaos everywhere. Oh, there just gets to a point in the day, usually about five minutes after the children have got up. Um, <laughs> no, it's not, I'm not that bad. But a point in the day where I just kind of shut down and I'm staring into space wishing I could be somewhere quiet, just doing a nice jigsaw. Okay. <laughs> Uh, needless to say, my wife is the total opposite, and she's an extrovert. She's energised by all the people and all the noise. She loves it all. So something else about introverts, which you will know if you are one, okay, you will understand this, is that we, have this, we tend to have this constantly running inner monologue going on. Okay, so whereas an extrovert, I may be generalising a bit here, but an extrovert will tend to just blurt out half-formed thoughts which I don't really understand. I don't know if I'm supposed to respond or not because I don't really understand it. I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me. External processing, I think, is what they call it. Uh, but for an introvert like myself, we tend to inhabit more internal world where thoughts are going around the head. We're trying to get thoughts in order. We're trying to get our thoughts lined up before speaking so that what we say makes sense and is, and is coherent. And so um, that's the kind of world that we... That we, that we inhabit. There's this constantly running inner monologue going on where you're thinking things through, you're getting thoughts in order, you're, you're grappling with various questions in your head, in this kind of headspace. Um, so you, so an, an upshot of that is you might give the impression that you're listening to someone who's speaking to you by virtue of the fact you're looking in the general direction of their face. But you're not really listening because your mind is occupied with something which is probably far more important. But... <laughs> 
don't listen to me. Um, <laughs> there is a reason for saying this, by the way. The reason for saying this is because there is a particular very deep question which I have been grappling with recently in my own internal little world. You know, I've been grappling with this question a lot. And the question is this. What on earth does a dog bouncing on a trampoline have to do with Christmas? <laughs> um, it's a deep question. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, I am, of course, referring to the John Lewis Christmas advert. Um, I read a post on Facebook recently, and it, it was somebody who messaged John Lewis on Facebook, and it, it read, Dear John, John Lewis, yeah, further to your advert, the kids thought it would be a great idea to put the cockapoo on the trampoline. See photo attached. <laughs> Thanks, and have a great Christmas. So there we have it. The John Lewis Christmas ad, it's become something of a modern Christmas institution, I think, but actually it's not just John Lewis anymore. These are everywhere. These kind of adverts, M&S, Sainsbury's, Waitrose, they're all doing this style of Christmas advert. And um, it's funny, because in the past, shops would have tried to get you to come in by presenting some sort of factual information, like price. You know, come here, come to us, and you'll get this product cheaper than anywhere else. Or come to us, and you'll get treated well. You might pay slightly more, but you will get great service. You'll get great aftercare. They'd have presented things like that to try and get you to come in. But now... It's all about trying to sell a story, trying to sell a value, or trying to get some sort of feel-good factor that may not be based on any kind of, of reality. And um, the thing is, is this is actually entirely in line with what has become known as the post-truth society. You may have heard of this, because the word post-truth has just been selected by the Oxford Dictionary as its word of the year, even though it's two words hyphenated. Post-truth, the word of the year. And post-truth means that in our society now, in the Western society, objective facts, objective truth, is far less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and to personal beliefs. In other words, how I feel about something is what really matters. And so, for example, an example of this would be you get blatant lies told by some politicians, and we've seen a lot of this recently, and they're exposed to be lies. They're known to be not true, and yet they're repeated and repeated because of what they're saying appeals to people's emotions. It's this post-truth world that we live in where what is actually true is secondary to how it makes you feel. And so an idealised vision of Christmas painted by a story told in an advert makes perfect sense in this world, even though it doesn't tell you anything about the shop and it doesn't represent reality for the vast majority of us. But I wonder if this is how we approach the Christmas story as well. As a kind of a feel-good thing. A warm, fuzzy, sanitised, feel-good kind of thing. Because surely, what is really important about this Christmas story, which has been told again today so beautifully, and this story that is so familiar to us, but surely the key question, the crucial question, is, is it true? Is it actually true? Because if it is true, it changes everything. Because it, it, it means that Jesus actually was who he said he was. It validates everything that Jesus said and did. It was C.S. Lewis who said, Christianity, if true, is of, sorry, if false, is of no importance. And if true, is of infinite importance. But the one thing it cannot be is moderately important. But have we turned Christmas into a sanitized, moderately important thing? Because if the Christmas story is true, it changes everything. If it's not, what are we doing here? What are we doing? What do you make of the Christmas story? 
If you're here today and you're not a Christian, if you, or if you, would, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't profess to be an active follower of Christ, let's say, what do you make of the Christmas story? Does it strike you as a little bit odd to celebrate the illegitimate, in the eyes of the world, the illegitimate birth of a child born into poverty in some backwater in the Middle East more than 2,000 years ago? I mean, it's not exactly a feel-good story, is it? This is not what you would choose. This is no dog bouncing on a trampoline here. And consider, out of the billions of births that have taken place in the world over the last 2,000 plus years, why that one? Why that particular birth in that place? Why that birth? Why that baby? I was born on the 20th of May, 1976, just a couple of miles from here, and I think that was a pretty momentous day. (laughs) And it does get celebrated every year, each year with less and less enthusiasm. Um... But it doesn't get celebrated very widely because, you know, it certainly doesn't get celebrated by billions of people in something like 160 different countries in the world. In fact, the overwhelming majority of the world's population are unaware of my very existence, let alone when it's my birthday. I mean, actually, the overwhelming majority of the population of my street are unaware when it's my birthday, but it's my birthday on the 20th of May. You are now aware, and so I'm expecting some big things next year. <laughs> if I say it enough, 20th of May, Okay. Big things next year. But the point I'm trying to make is, if the biblical record of this is wrong, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. There is nothing to celebrate. The significance of this event that we're talking about today stands or falls entirely on whether it's true. It stands or falls entirely on whether, as the Bible says, this really was God himself coming to be one of us, coming to rescue us, uh, coming to uh, bring light into a dark world, inserting himself into human history, Emmanuel, God with us, or whether that's just a load of nonsense. This was just another baby. It's just another birth. Or even that it's just a fairy tale. Because a lot of people think that. That the Christmas story, and essentially the Bible, is basically a collection of myths and fairy tales and that kind of thing. All I can say, if that's your view, is you've got to have some pretty strong evidence for that. Because there's such a weight of scholarship, both, both religious and secular scholarship, and uh, historical research and analysis and scrutiny and textual criticism, literary criticism and all the rest that would absolutely affirm the authenticity and the accuracy, the reliability, the historicity, the historical accuracy of the New Testament documents about Jesus. We had a talk here just last month, part of a series we do called Big Objections. And the title of the talk was, Why Would You Base Your Life on a Book of Fairy Tales? It was addressing that very, that very issue. If, if, so if that's where you are, I'd really recommend that talk. You can download it off our website. What I'm trying to say, though, is you can't just dismiss this as a myth, as a fairy tale. It, that just doesn't stack up. It really doesn't. But how can we know if what the Bible says about it is true? How can we know if it's true? How can we know if this is actually the Son of God who's come to rescue us from ourselves and bring light into a dark world and uh, make peace with God possible, as the Bible claims, or... If this is just another baby that for some bizarre reason we are still talking about and using as an excuse to buy each other presents and eat lots at this time of year. How can we know if it's true? Well, one way is that you do go down the historical research route. You know, you, to test the authenticity of the historical records. And there are countless books that do that. On the assumption, though, that most of us don't have the time to do that kind of thing, is there another way that we can know if this is true? Well, yes, I think there is. We heard about the shepherds just before. 
how they heard about Jesus. But they didn't just hear about him. They said, let's go and see for ourselves. Let's go and investigate this. Let's go and see if this is actually true. And they went and they found it was true. And they came back praising God, rejoicing, because everything they'd seen, everything they'd heard was just as they had been told. And I believe this story that we're telling again today, the very familiar story, contains truth that is self-authenticating. Because you can know the person himself. You can know Jesus himself. And there are many people in this room who would testify to that. You can know peace with God for yourself. And it's wonderful. It is wonderful. And it changes everything. And you know, I think we're all searching for a sense of peace in our lives. There's something we long for in our lives. That's why these adverts appeal so much to us. Because they paint a picture of something that we long for. It just captures something. So you may not have the time to undertake rigorous academic historical research. Most of us don't. But like the shepherds, I think everybody needs to make the time to investigate Jesus himself. Jesus the person. Because this is too important not to. The kind of things that Jesus claimed, the kind of things that he did, this is too important to dismiss without proper investigation. And you may have all sorts of questions and very legitimate questions and hesitancies and doubts about all of this. But um, there was an author called Dorothy Sayers who, who once said this. She said, the incarnation, which means God becoming man, the incarnation means that for whatever reason God chose to let us fall, to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death, and those are the questions people have, aren't they, about suffering. Why does God allow that? And they're legitimate questions. But what she is saying is that well, for whatever reason God chooses to allow that, He has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain, humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain, all for us. And he thought it well worth his while. Now, I would say that that is somebody who is worth investigating. That is a man who is worth investigating. So let me end with an invitation. Two invitations, really. The first is to Alpha. You've got the flyers on your seats. We're running an Alpha course, which starts in January. Alpha is a course which is done across the world. Uh, It's been done by millions of people. You come to Alpha, and you can ask any questions you like. No questions off limits. You can express your points of view on key questions to do with the Christian faith. There's no pressure. There is no judgment. You just come and investigate and explore. You come and ask your questions. Come and express your perspectives. And I tell you what, you'll have a great time doing it. You'll be made to feel so welcome and you will have a great time exploring those things together. So do consider Alpha. The information is on your seat. Second invitation is just to come for, sun, for a few Sunday mornings. Not just one. Come for a few Sunday mornings. Come and really check this out for yourself. Come and see this up close. We have three Sunday morning meetings. Two are in this building. One at 9.30, one at 11.30. And we also meet up in Hazelmere at Sir William Ramsey School at 10.30. And if you come on a Sunday morning, you will see... Well, you will see a whole bunch of different people in one place. You will see people of all ages, from zero to 90. You will see people of different nationalities. I think last time we counted, we had about 50 different nationalities represented in this church. 
You'll see people of different backgrounds, different types of people, all sorts of people in the same place. But what I am convinced you will see is you will see the reality of Jesus in people's lives. A bunch of very ordinary people who have been profoundly affected by the love and the power of Jesus, the peace that he brings and the peace that he brought at that first Christmas. So come, come and check this out for yourself. Don't dismiss this, don't dismiss Christianity without investigating it properly. And you might be surprised by what you find. I'm going to invite the choir to come up now and um, they're going to be singing a song to us. As they make their way up, let me just finish by saying I hope you have a really fantastic Christmas, a great Christmas. Uh, I pray that your Christmas will be filled with the love and the peace of God. And if you're an introvert like me, that you would find many quiet moments to enjoy a nice jigsaw. Thank you very much.